Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Yield. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, and leave a review if you're enjoying the content. In case we haven't met before, I'm your host, Peter Kerr, and I'm the Director of Product Marketing here at Yieldtree. Today, I'm joined by Edmund McCormick, who is the Managing Partner of Dechained Capital and co-founder of Dechained, an educational platform to help investors understand and invest in the blockchain and cryptocurrency environments. I was thinking, Edmund, maybe to start off, you could walk everyone through a little bit of your background. Yeah. So first, great to be here and great to speak with you. My background, you know, as you mentioned before, I'm managing partner of our blockchain fund, as well as founder and CEO of our education platform, which is also a registered investment advisor. But before I got into that, and before, you know, I you know, got and, and built up you know, my background in the finance industry, yeah, I spent 15 years in tech. I started out on one of the early social networks you know, back in the 2000s, spent a number of years in a few different roles, both on the commercial side and the M&A side uh, at Apple, and then went on and worked at a small ad tech company, which was put on path for IPO this past summer. So for me, you know, my background, both you know, having the tech experience with the finance perspective, gave a good blend to, to help deliver some some interesting insights and, and potential you know investment opportunities for for your listeners and, and for you know the general public. Yeah. And so so you know what kind of got you into you know starting Dechained and I guess you know kind of what started yeah. first, you know, sort of the investment side with Dechained Capital or do you guys start with the education? So I, I have to say disclaimer, we're all we're all in it just for the tech, right? Everyone's here just listens just for tech, not for money. <laughs> so what got me into it? And I've been in crypto for 10 years. Uh, I, I started October 2011, back in the Mt. Gox days. And to put money up by Bitcoin was a little bit of a hairy experience. But what got me kind of moving in this direction, for one, I saw what was going on in tech, many companies sort of taking pretty hard stances around privacy and, and limiting the amount of data. And, and that put a, a big threat to the existing business models for some of the biggest internet businesses that we have today, Facebook, Google, Amazon, et cetera. But what really pushed me over that edge, because I, I knew I wanted to do something in this space, was seeing many people around me, you know, after the 2016, 2017 rally in with Bitcoin and, and some of the, the larger cryptocurrencies, 
I saw many people around me, you know, I came from a, a blue collar neighborhood, you know, grew up in the Bronx, that these people were the ones who got hit hardest when the market turned. And I wanted to dig deeper into why that happened. And I saw that for the most part, these people who were investing in something they thought was a surefire investment and had great you know, fundamentals behind it, in actuality, they didn't really understand anything about it from a technical or financial standpoint. So what I wanted to do was I, I wanted to build a, an education platform that would be you know, available and accessible to anyone, put in very easy to understand terms. And as we scaled this out and as we launched it you know, in early 2020, we had a number of people approach us and say, you know, we love the platform. We learn you know, as much as we like, but we'd like for you or your team to ultimately oversee our investments for us. And, and that was the genesis of, of DJ and Capital. And so to that point, how much of that was, you know, to your point around not understanding everything around cryptocurrencies, the technologies that empower them, or how much of it was just kind of basic portfolio risk management that maybe was kind of like the missing gap there? You know, I, I think both in a capacity, maybe even a bit of a, a casino mindset as well, sort of a slot machine, get rich quick. But, you know, if you just looked at, and it, it still rings true even today, there's some phenomenal publications out there. Uh, that put out information in market news. But if you just pick a random article and you read you know, two, three paragraphs in, you'll notice it gets quite technical pretty quickly. You start throwing around a lot of terms that you know, for you and your listeners, you use on a, on a daily and weekly basis. But for most people, they would have absolutely no idea you know, whether what a Fibonacci was. They would not know, you know when you're looking at how to calculate you know, NVT or a book value, even what a book value is. So to help put it in a way that would be more accessible to, to a greater amount of people, because at the end of the day, that's a core focus here of what blockchain delivers, which is accessibility and openness. That was really why and what propelled me forward to, to build it. And, and sort of walking the walk, we also wanted to build something that would also be free to use and really build that foundation, build that knowledge base, but also, you know, with an emerging fund, build our brand at the same time. You mentioned a couple of times, you know, um, this, this technical standpoint, right? You know, when you say that, are you talking, you know, about people not understanding maybe how the underlying technology might empower a coin to, you know, outperform or really grow within the, the, the space, or is it really just around understanding, you know, traditional charting and understanding what some of the technical indicators are for how a coin might perform? When, I, when I'm talking about technical, I'm talking more from a, a development standpoint. There's a, a weird dynamic and, in, you know, the tech industry is really to blame. So it's self-imposed, but you know, crypto is unique in that when you talk about it, people immediately go into, well, I don't understand the inner workings. I don't understand how things are working across the blockchain. And the reality is, is when you buy an internet stock, you buy you know, Google, are you thinking about how complex that algorithm that Google uses, or even you know, this podcast that we're doing with how complex the audio and video is in near real time? It's mind boggling if you had to explain it to someone, but people generally just look at the consumer facing product or service, and then they invest in the commercial value of it. That is a big misconception where people feel like you, you need to be a computer scientist. You need to be you know, highly technical from a development standpoint to, to get involved in the space. And that's just not the, 
That's just not the case. There are businesses built around it, just like businesses that were built around the internet in you know the late 90s. And what we're trying to do is help shine some light on that. So then to that point, like what is kind of like the most important, you know, big picture that people should be thinking about when they're thinking about maybe entering into crypto for a portion of their portfolio? You know, like not, not getting bogged down always in the, in maybe some of the more technical uh, components, but really like what's the big picture that everyone should learn towards. And then if I can, you know, maybe you could follow that up with how they should evaluate then, you know, the tens of thousands of different coins that are out there now. Yeah. So I would say that the big picture is first and foremost, you need to take the time to, to learn you know, what the fundamental cryptocurrencies are. So the, the building blocks, that would be Bitcoin, that would be Ethereum. You know, there's several others, Solana. I'll even throw, you know, I don't even want to say it, but Cardano in there as well. Who knows where that goes? But these are four of the largest blockchains that activity is occurring on. And then on top of that, you have companies that have now built their their brand, built their businesses on top of these existing entities. And think of that like, you know, the App Store and Apple being Ethereum, and then all the other businesses building on top of that existing framework. Using that model, you're using the same type of fundamental analysis that you would use when selecting one of thousands of stocks on E-Trade in this scenario. In fact, if you look at who's now leading a lot of these businesses. These are people who have decades of experience leading you know, some very large S&P 500 companies who are now moving towards businesses built on blockchain. So I think as time goes on, and it, I don't think it's too much time in the, in the future, you'll see that this concept of separation between blockchain and tech, blockchain and you know, even other sectors starts to converge and start to assimilate pretty quickly. Just like, you know, it used to be if you had an online business, you were digital, you were a digital business. Now at this point, if you don't have a digital component, you're, you're probably not in business. So you'll see that it will become ingrained in the fabric. And we're just at this point in the very early stages of that. So then, so then, you know, one of the questions we get asked actually fairly often is then, you know, if we say that there's roughly four or five different blockchain technologies that everyone is building on, and I think you use a great analogy of the app store, then why do all the other coins need to exist? And how does one then kind of even evaluate if at all, and maybe they're playing too far down, you know, kind of into the speculative area relative to some of the larger, more popular, more traded coins. Um, but how do they even evaluate those then if they don't really have proprietary tech, what are they really offering? So we talk about the four or five blockchain technologies. Uh, and, and in in that sense, from an investor, you would be buying the cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency, a, a parallel to that would be, you know, the US dollar if you are investing in, you know, the US economy. And within the US economy, you have all these domestic businesses that you also have an opportunity to invest into. So if you wanted to just to invest in all of them, you would buy an index, you would buy, you know, something that is very a broad stroke type of investment versus stock picking and trying to go and say, well, I want this energy company, this tech company, this healthcare. So when thinking about how to look at it, put on the lens that you use in the equities world, look at, okay, what are sectors that I am comfortable with that I know a lot about that I have a little bit of background in terms of emerging trends. And ultimately take a look at these companies that are building on blockchain to understand are they, because of the use of blockchain, either gaining a competitive advantage, creating some type of disruptive service or product, 
or are they just going to become a lot more efficient? So they'll be better, you know, at, at preserving their bottom line. And, and that's what I would recommend taking a look at to start. Okay. Very helpful. I want to talk a little bit about kind of the current backdrop as I think, you know, everyone's kind of seen the market the first couple of days and, you know, yields are up longer duration tech with less, you know, predictable cash flows and higher terminal values are, are kind of getting hit pretty hard right now. Um, and certainly, you know, at least major cryptocurrencies seem to be hanging on, but maybe direction a little bit uh, less defined. Um, so I want to spend some time talking about that too, but first I, you know, you mentioned something up front around web 3.0. And so, you know, I, I it feels as though web 3.0 sort of came hot and heavy in Q4 that's kind of like a big talking point for, for everyone. Uh, so maybe you could walk everyone through that and then also, you know, how that might also play a role in the future going forward. Yeah. So before we jump into web 3.0, let me just, for some you know, viewers, some listeners who might not be familiar, what is it? It is a, a next evolution of the web that we're accustomed to. So if you look at web 1.0 back in the nineties, if you remember GeoCities, there were static read-only sites. You couldn't talk to other people. It was just the information was there and it, it didn't change. Then it evolved into more dynamic, more open lines of communication on these platforms. You had you know, Google launching Gmail and Facebook and everything that we're doing for the most part today is would be considered web 2.0. The signifying trait of it is that the data and, and really the direction of the service or product that's being offered is being controlled by a single organization. Your data is stored on a, on a server for the most part. And ultimately, there's a lot of trust that we put you know, in the other side who's providing us that service or good. 3.0 is a step forward, but a step in a different direction where it starts to take that authority and control from those central organizations and puts it on the blockchain. So it, it, it creates a more open scenario where the data will live in a highly secure you know, encrypted environment, which is protected through incredibly complex algorithms. Uh, and at the same time, it's accessible to everybody. People don't realize when you talk about the internet, we often think there's one internet. That's not the case. You know, the internet that we go on is very different than the internet that someone in Beijing or maybe someone in Saudi Arabia. So we are talking about, you know, levels of, curation that occur all around the world. And in saying that, it also is levels of control for many aspects of daily life that here in the US, you know, we're very fortunate to, to not have to endure, but seeing you know, parts of the world where they might have a you know, struggling ecosystem, a struggling financial ecosystem, where they can't just pull money out of the bank at will. The dollar today there might not be worth a dollar tomorrow. So it provides this, this new sort of step forward where you have this truly global community that are, are more connected. The data and the, the way that data is added to this, this blockchain is decentralized and, and ultimately the consensus is opened up. So you, you start to see this you know, greater level of accountability, of reliability, and at the same time, just greater good for a greater amount of people. So we say all you know, all, all this Web 3.0, blockchain, everything we discuss is all about this decentralization across the board. And that's just a couple of times to different people. But how do the entrenched players in the space now survive knowing that you know 
a lot of the ways that they're able to monetize, um, you know, the current systems, including Web 2.0, are likely to be disrupted if everyone kind of moves towards these more decentralized areas. How do the companies of like Google that use an example? How do they view Web 3.0? And inherently, are they, you know, what are they doing to combat that future, if you will? A multi-billion-dollar question. So, if you look at some of the biggest players out there, Facebook and Google, for example, their product is data. They use data in order to uh, sell better advertising to marketers. Now, the challenge, and I think this is—it's worth noting that this move for Web 3.0 didn't just happen this last year. This has been happening for a number of years at this point, even going back to 2016 with Cambridge Analytica, where you know, the ways that companies have collected data for years ultimately came to light. And more so in if that data gets uh, accessible to the wrong players, what could be done with that information? And coming out of that, you started to see crackdowns. You had self-imposed from Apple. They have something called Intelligent Tracking Prevention, ITP, built into your iOS operating system. You saw regulation come out, GDPR in Europe, you have something called the Consumer Consumer Protection Act in uh, CCPA. I'm going blank on, on <laughs> the acronym, but uh, coming out of California here domestically, and it started the conversation that ultimately led to you know a number of congressional hearings where many of these CEOs are, are being basically called upon to answer questions: How are you collecting data? Is it you know, are the the users ultimately consenting? What are you using it for? How long are you holding? What do you do with it after you're done? Uh, and, and ultimately, this is posing a, a major challenge, a big problem. Look no further than even Facebook's earnings calls. You know, every quarter, you know, either an analyst will ask or they'll be forthright in saying that these new legislations, these new acts being done by you know companies like Apple, are a significant threat to their bottom line a significant threat and there really is no answer. You have, you know, Google has come out with something called federated learning which I'll say is is fluff. Uh it's not happening. It, they have project sandbox. They they have all these new terms and all these things that are coming out to help say, well, the cookie is dead after 25 years and we're moving on. But the fact is is that I think that whole industry for the most part is still, you know, sort of drawing its straws here and, and trying to figure out where they go from here. So there is no answer at this point. Interesting. And, and, and you know, how does Web Point 3.0, if you will, you know, sort of tie in and play a little bit more towards, you know, kind of blockchain and, and how you think that those two might kind of merge or at least be interlinked going forward? Yeah. So going back to just the data piece, if you think about the challenge, it's data being you know, stored and controlled by a single entity. What if you made that data uh, accessible to anyone who wanted to access it, but in a way that was uh, keeping all the information anonymous, you wouldn't be able to identify any one individual person. And ultimately, you could store a lot more of it. So I'll give you a good example. When we start to look forward at the next five, 10 years, and you'll hear people much smarter than I will talk about you know, what the impact of 5G connectivity will be, what AI and machine learning, all your traditional buzzwords, you know, edge computing, which is you know, how your Apple Watch is able to... to decipher information without having to send it to Apple servers. The underlying piece here is that in order to actually now make that viable from a commercial business standpoint, 
you need to be able to access it. You need more stakeholders to be able to access it. You can't train an AI system if that AI system doesn't have access to high quality data and high volumes of it. So this is where you, know, you start to see many blockchain companies coming in and saying, well, if we use, for example, patient records, the average US hospital produces enough data to fill 500 billion pages annually. If you made that information available on blockchain, wrapped it in a way where the data could be analyzed on the chain without that data ever having to lose custody and, and start going over to other people where you don't know what they're going to do with it. You could analyze, run your algorithms, pull and extract your data. Now you're talking about a whole new economy that didn't even exist, that hasn't existed. Rather than one, two, three, five entities really controlling that data and monetizing it, what if you can create a whole data economy? Now you're talking a trillion dollar plus industry, which is what we're talking about when we talk about Google, Facebook, et cetera. That opens up a whole new world. Uh, and, and with that, all new entrants into the space. And you have you know, all these players that are specializing in specific niches for specific industries. Uh, and for our fund, at least, and this not plugging, but that's mostly our focus is understanding how participants in, in those industries are, are, are leveraging this technology, but doing it in a way where it's actually adding value that did not exist previous to this technology. So, so maybe that's a, a good transition into kind of, you know, a little bit of the, the market backdrop, which I know uh, is always top of mind for some of our investors. And certainly, you know, I just want to phrase the conversation as not being investment advice, but certainly we can provide, um, you know, what our understandings are of what's going on, um, I think is, is all um, in bounds. So thinking about Bitcoin, and then we'll talk a little bit more maybe about, you know, uh, some of the, 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 the smaller different uh, cryptocurrencies in the space. Um, one of the questions that came in was, you know, what are some of the true supply drivers of, or at least at least price drivers of bitcoin certainly people i think uh fundamentally are always a little bit you know uh concerned around the fact that there is no real fundamental intrinsic value and can oftentimes just be a little bit more thought of as you know what someone is willing to transact at so maybe you could kind of either refute that a little bit conceptually and also maybe just talk about you know why we sometimes see these big massive rallies and then maybe proportionate drawdowns you know over multiple years especially in bitcoin yeah, so historically, you know, the the price of Bitcoin has been tied to, you know, demand and scarcity. The scarcity is coming from the emission schedule that was built into into Bitcoin. As more things are added to its its blockchain, the more Bitcoin is released first as a reward to those miners, those organizations that are adding uh, transactions to the blockchain, and then it's distributed to the public. In saying that, that's where you saw a lot of parallels around you know, comparing Bitcoin to precious metals like gold, because there's a finite supply. And ultimately, as demand either goes up or goes down, the price will then uh, reflect you know, how that's factoring into the, the current supply that's out there. Right now, there's a report that about three quarters of all the Bitcoin that have ever been released and minted are at this point illiquid. So they're being held on cold wallets and they're not in circulation. So you'll, you'll see that a lot of that has impact into ultimately the overall price appreciation, along with overall you know, institutional adoption. I, I was reading the other day, I think the, the numbers came out on Monday or Tuesday of this week, that the correlation between the S&P 500 and Bitcoin is about a 0.33, which is 
exceptionally high, meaning many of the companies in the S&P now have commercial interest in either Bitcoin because they own it in their reserves, they have a business that's related to either Bitcoin or blockchain, or they plan to offer some type of product or service. So you're, you're seeing this, you know, these factors that relate to pro, uh, supply and demand, which has really been retail driven, starting to now lend its way to you know, the impact that institutional is now having as they come in and, and they're leveraging it as either a stabilizer in the face of rising inflation numbers or as a potential way of uh, uh, creating new revenue streams. So that's Bitcoin for the most part. As you start to look at other tokens, that's where you have to look at really what the utility, what the, the underlying value of that token represents. In some cases, it's either a you know, equivalent of a digital share, so it, it equates to ownership. In others, it relates to you know, a currency or a, a way of actually transacting within that application that is native. So that if you're playing Axie Infinity or a game, similar to how you have you know, in-app purchases in the App Store, you're able to buy you know, that game's own currency and, and transact with other players you have that elsewhere in, in blockchain as well. And, and that's just obviously one example. There's You can translate that into healthcare, transportation, et cetera. But you, you start to see different utilities for different needs and for ultimately different, whether it's private, government, public, ultimately how it's serving you know, those, those purposes. At the end of the day, you know, when we think about 10 to 15 years from now, how many unique tokens do you think are out there and how much consolidation do you kind of see maybe potentially happening? Maybe consolidation is not the right term, but maybe, you know, obviously um, uh, different, different tokens kind of just, you know, fading away into darkness and potentially even just ceasing to exist. Yeah. I think first, I think that that's a good thing. Just like the dot-com bubble burst was a good thing. It sort of separated the, the wheat from the chaff, you know, and it's, it separates, you know, those businesses that are just, speculative hot air you want to say that it was you know top of mind for alan greenspan for irrational exuberance he was maybe a couple of years too early on that one but uh ultimately as those faded away and went to the side it opened up a pathway for those businesses that actually were onto something big to then become some of the biggest companies in the world you know especially by market cap five of the last five of the top six currently with the exception of saudi aramco either started their business in the mid nineties or really pivoted and, and strengthened their overall commercial offering around that time. And I think that we'll see that here with blockchain as well. So, so of course you brought up the dot-com bubble. So now we have to go there, but you know, certainly that, I think that's one of the top risks that people feel is that, you know, at one day, you know, the balloon pops and certainly if it happens, you know, maybe some of the more esoteric, you know, tokens, what their impact would be for something like Bitcoin, which is Bitcoin, which is widely held and maybe some other um, higher beta names, but, it looks to me like Bitcoin really hasn't had a ton of direction over the last year or so, kind of trading relatively sideways, but with a lot of kind of oscillation and vol. When you talk about things about, you know, some coins eventually or tokens eventually getting phased out, is that something that you see on the near-term horizon? What type of impact might that have across, you know, the, the token space all, all told? Yeah. So we talk about Bitcoin and we spoke a, a moment or two ago about Bitcoin really resembling gold. I think it's resembling gold more than ever in its current form now. You know, gold, Bitcoin down roughly 10, 15% in the last several months, gold being down 
in the last year. So you're seeing that it's trading sideways because ultimately it's trading, in my humble opinion, the way that precious metals are, are, are trading. It, it's not you know, skyrocketing, it's staying somewhat flat. It's found this support level between, you know, roughly 40 and $55,000. And it's, it's doing a crab walk basically for lack of better words, while other, you know, areas in the blockchain space, whether it's a cryptocurrency like Ethereum or Phantom, which is gaining a lot of steam avalanche are, are being used for different use cases and, and ultimately leverage either for you know, things like DeFi, they're being leveraged for private networks, et cetera. And, and you're starting to see those now being sort of structured in a way where people are looking at them as pseudo securities. And I would, I would recommend, you know, if you're looking at Bitcoin and trying to compare it first, you know, any token, and again, always keep in mind, you know, the, the commercial value or ultimately what's the underlying value that this this token represents just like there's a, a tens of thousands of penny stocks we have that in crypto as well but at the same time we also have some some very strong players um so i would say you know you can't put your fundamental analysis to ease or to rest you got to put that lens on but luckily it's not too far from the tree from what most people are used to in the stock world so, so you, in equating it to gold, I'm just curious, do you then feel as though there's more of a natural cap on the potential price of Bitcoin? And not to say that gold couldn't, you know, has any limit to its upside, but certainly has a depth of history that kind of shows um, at least some, you know, peaks and range boundness. Do you feel then for those reasons that Bitcoin maybe doesn't get to two or 300,000 or 500,000 in price and kind of maybe has a more natural cap, whether that's, you know, 2X from here or not? Hard to say what the, the cap will be, but you know, if the numbers that we've seen around inflation continue to go on, you know, we've had two consecutive months north of six percent. Will we see Bitcoin take a page out of gold's playbook back in 1971 when we disconnected from the gold standard and ultimately start to then go to new highs and, and ultimately start to see you know five, six, seven, even 10x at some points by the early 80s? Could we get to that point with Bitcoin? Who knows? People might see Bitcoin as this you know, store of value and, and a really effective way of avoiding any devaluation in their, their current savings. With that being said, just like you know, that asset gold has a place in an you know, investment portfolio, so do equities as well. And I think that's where the conversation then shifts to when you're looking at equities, you want to look at certain sectors who are the players? What are the you know the platforms that are very well positioned? Using that lens, taking that similar approach for crypto, for Ethereum, you know, it's hard to argue that it doesn't have right now a first mover advantage when it comes to DeFi. While at the same time, there are other platforms that are gaining a lot of steam because they're faster, they're cheaper to use, and ultimately a little bit more developer friendly. That's where you saw you know. Avalanche doing well, near to start this year off. Osmosis, I, I go on, but you're seeing many other blockchains with different functionality, different features, and ultimately um, benefits that they can offer from both the private and public sector. And I think that's where you'll start to see more money shift towards as people look for, you know, greater upside than maybe what Bitcoin can deliver in the short term. And then the last question around the, the the analogy of Bitcoin to gold, but I guess kind of what's the thesis then for owning Bitcoin rather than gold? 
if, if roughly, you know, they're kind of operating as a very similar proxy? It's a tough question because, you know, Bitcoin being up roughly about a hundred percent in the last year and Bitcoin, excuse me, gold down about 10%. This year was a little bit of a complex sort of year in, in the overall markets to explain. Uh, you would expect that gold probably would have risen a lot higher and more recently, especially to end 2021. But you know, if you you just look at even what the banks are saying, you know, Citibank was was one of the first banks to really put out report that drew that parallel between gold and Bitcoin and, and drawing that parallel to the early 70s. But then starting to look even further down the line around how this could be an effective hedge against the US dollar. Now, as I mentioned, the S&P 500 and, and Bitcoin are growing increasingly correlated as, as time goes on. But at the same time, the US dollar and Bitcoin has consistently remained negative. So if you're just looking at how do I hedge a potential devaluation scenario and not looking at just you know, the market itself, but just keeping my money you know, secure and, and keeping it intact, that's where people look at Bitcoin as saying, well, maybe this could be you know, a nice counterweight to add to the portfolio. Oh, that's great. You know, again, w- w- without providing advice, but just kind of thinking it through, you know, what what are kind of ways for people to think about constructing a portfolio of of kind of tokens? And and you know, obviously, um, opportunities available uh, to go to deep chain capital and certainly seek to invest for themselves as well. And don't want to give away your guys' secret sauce, but just in terms of kind of owning something like Bitcoin versus owning something like an earlier stage token. Um, certainly different risk return profiles. How can kind of people think about, you know, how to, you know, construct a portfolio, if you will, with those different types of, uh, of, of tokens? You hit the nail on the head, the, the risk reward profile uh, and, and really understanding what level of risk that you really are, are willing to tolerate. What's your time horizon? Are you, are you looking for something to try and do a moonshot and in a very short amount of time? Or are you looking to have something that will appreciate gradually expected or estimated over time, and you could sleep a little better at night. It really depends on you know that individual's needs, their current financial situation, et cetera. So I would say you know, use that as your starting block. As you see with equity world, the large caps, the apples of the world are a lot less volatile than you know, some of the you know, smaller tech companies out there. So if you're looking for something that is is well positioned to continue to appreciate as time goes on, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum are, are one and two in terms of size. I think you hard to argue you couldn't you would go wrong by investing in those. But also, you know, there's levels of risk as well where there's a number of of firms out there where they're making their their executive team public. We're no longer in, in the dark days where you know, projects and companies are running anonymous. You don't know who they are. You know, they're running, you know, their business with a chicken avatar on Twitter. That's just, it's not the case. You know, these are people who have run Fortune 500 companies. So you could find this information just like, you know, you would searching online, doing your homework. We do our best to cover, you know, some some great projects. Uh, we always disclose whether we're, you know, have any vested interest in them or not, but we try to bring them to light. And that's really the goal, even on our education platform, which is to arm you with all the tools that you're going to need to to understand how everything is interconnected, to understand what are the building blocks. But then also, you know, if you want to control your investments, to have that information for free in a timely manner. That's great. Very helpful. You know, certainly considerations for everyone are, you know, that 
to your point about large cap stocks, you know, depending on, you should have a view on the direction of coins and certainly that should impact, you know, how you construct your portfolio and what level of risk you want. Taking that risk into a down market, obviously, um, hopefully everyone's uh, being conscious of that. So, you know, I figured maybe for the last couple of seconds or so, we could, we could spend a little time just talking about uh, dchain.com, which is sort of your education hub, mm-hmm. and maybe walk people through, um, you know, really who this is geared towards and what really they can learn um, as they kind of go through their investing uh, in crypto, you know, journeys. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's, it's geared for people ranging from, you know, I'm sitting on the sidelines and I just want to learn what the basics are. What is blockchain? What is Bitcoin? How is it different than Ethereum? All the way through people who are, are looking to perhaps expand their investing horizon outside of what's offered and available on Coinbase, starting to kick the tires on DeFi, starting to ask questions about you know, some type of yield strategies. And we try to fill in you know, everything in between and what, we'll, what we offer. And again, it's all free, create a free account, is we have... The information presented in a number of different media forms. We have video courses, we have articles, we have guides, infographics, videos, et cetera. And of course, you know, we've been giving our, our our picks, our recommendations on a weekly basis. Again, not investment advice. This is just you know our our POV on the marketplace. And you know, on our YouTube channel, which is you know where we're going to be putting a lot more time. Right now we have about about 60, 70 videos up already on we'll be providing market analysis and, and market news pretty consistently throughout the week. That's great. So before we wrap, any, any parting thoughts for you? Certainly we didn't hit on uh, NFT. So always want to give everyone an opportunity to, uh, to discuss as well. Yeah. So I think this is going to be an exciting year. You're seeing the steps that need to be taken in order for, for crypto, for blockchain to really scale the way it needs to specifically around regulation. There were some great conversations that happened last month with some big executives in the space standing in front of the house. And it's going to be interesting and exciting to see, you know, as regulation is formed, not only in 2022, but in future years, how that's going to really pave the way for bigger institutions to get involved, for you know, investors to have more options available to them, especially when it comes to derivatives. And, and ultimately, you're going to see is maturation of this space in a way that we just saw, you know, back in the nineties through the two thousands with, you know, online businesses, just have a little patience. It's a 13 year old industry. Um, but, you know, feel confident that, you know, there's a lot of really positive momentum happening, uh, right now. And, and you're early. Fantastic. Edmund, thank you so much for joining us today. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners. Remember to visit yieldstreet.com to learn more about our offerings and come to realize your next level with us. Of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you never miss a show. And be uh, sure to join us next Wednesday as we host Willie Walker for a conversation around commercial real estate. So thank you and see you all next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.
The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment products. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at yieldstreet.com.